All right, I'm going to stand down here in front. Can you all see me in the back? Okay, cool. I trust that you can. If you have your Bibles with you, let me see them. Let me see them up in the air. Let me see them, let me see them, let me see them. Okay? Hey, if, if you have this book with you, turn with me to Exodus chapter 5. Last night we were in Exodus 3. Uh, two chapters later, Exodus chapter 5. Remember, friends, I told you two things this week that are going to be true. Number one, we're going to be coming straight out of this book. Why? Because I believe that this book is the greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told in its entirety. Remember, 66 books, 40 different authors on three different continents and three languages written over 2,000 years that tells one great story. So anywhere that you open up your Bible, if it's Genesis, if it's Exodus, if it's in First and Second Kings, right, wherever you open up your Bible, you can know that this is telling one great story about who God is and that he has chased after his people and that he is a God that pursues and he is a God of love and he is a God that takes this first step back towards us. And today we're going to kind of go back all the way to the beginning of the story to figure out why he's taking this step back towards us. Okay, so in Exodus chapter 5, if you're not there, say wait. If you are there, say preach. preach. Okay, here we go. Um, how many of you like staying in hotels? Anybody in here? Like, any, where, where am I like, I prefer my own bed type of people? Okay, I feel you. Wow, there's a lot more of you. I prefer my own bed. Okay, growing up as a missionary kid, um, we traveled a lot. We came back to the U.S. Uh, like every summer, every other summer, depending on the year. And so we got to stay in a lot of hotels. And I have a lot of siblings. And so we would always like make up games. Like we were the type of family that would, we would go into the hallway and, you know, grab a Frisbee and like we'd be, we'd see how far we could throw the Frisbee on a hallway without touching walls and like, you know, a disturbance to the peace of the rest of the hotel, of course. But I just, I, for whatever reason, I loved staying in hotels. I loved like the, the fresh linens every day. I loved that I could like throw my towel on the floor and then come back later that afternoon and there was like a fresh one hanging and I was like, oh, magic, right? Like, I just, I love staying in hotels. And it's every hotel that you go to kind of has the same spiel when you check in, right? They tell you what room you're staying in. They hand you the room key. They tell you, you know, where the gym is. Not that anybody needs that while you're at a hotel. And then you got your like continental breakfast with the waffle maker that you twist. And it's like most hotels, like it's kind of the same thing. And uh, I, I got to take my youth group down to a place called the Dominican Republic recently. And we were down in the Dominican Republic and we were checking into a hotel and it, it kind of shocked me how similar this experience was of checking into a hotel down in the DR to checking into a hotel in the US. And now, you know, slightly different language, but like for the most part, same spiel. And so I'm getting all our room keys, you know, figuring out where the breakfast is and from when to when it is. And then all of a sudden, the hotel gal that was checking us in was like, oh, by the way, um, there's a field out behind the hotel. And just a heads up, in that field, uh, the Dominican Republic was in a civil war for a long time. So there's a bunch of landmines in that field, kind of like undiscovered landmines. So if you're going to go back there, throw the Frisbee around or whatever, just be careful. And I was like, well, wait, uh, I'm sorry. Did, did you just say... Did you say landmines? Like I that I understand hotels. I've been going to hotels, but like I've never heard a hotel spiel that has the words landmine in it before. And she's like, mm-hmm, enjoy your stay. It's like, okay, um, friends, okay, like gather my youth group around. I'm like, okay, field behind the hotel, 
off limits, okay? Like, we're not going there. Why? Because if you're a youth, like if you've been to a youth group before, if you're a youth leader in this room, like there's one phone call you don't want to make when you're on a missions trip. And that phone call is, mm-hmm, Mrs. Wilson, remember, remember Timmy? Well, of course you do, it's your son, right? Um, remember how Timmy had two legs, right? Like, that's not a phone call you want to make as a youth pastor. And so what I say, I said, friends, the field behind the hotel, off limits, And to me, y'all, like, you know how simple it would be, like, with today's modern technology to go out to that field if you had the right technology and grab, like, cones? You just got, like, a stack of them, and you're like, beep, 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 Okay, cone, cone, cone. Landmine, certain death, right here, okay? Beep, 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 Landmine, right here, there's another one. Cone, 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 certain death. Right, you just kind of sweep this field, and then if you take a step back from the field, you go, hmm, okay, cones equals death. <laughs> Everything else, ultimate, right? Like, you could have fun, you could enjoy, but friends, freedom, when it comes to this field, is not the ability to go wherever you want, whenever you want, however you want. That's not freedom, right? Freedom is the ability to play in this field without stepping on a landmine. And so many of us, if we're not careful, we look at religion and we look at Christianity in the same way that I did growing up and going, ugh, rules and regulations, a bunch of them. Ten commandments, right? There's, you know, 270-something commands in the Old Testament, and then Jesus doubles down on a bunch of them, and this is just a bunch of rules. But friends, my, my, I want you to lean into the fact that there's a possibility that the God of the universe loves you enough to go, hey, as you're walking throughout this life that I created, that I designed, that I came up with, what if... Is it possible that I know more about how this life works than you do? And if I do, what if I knew the things that led to a life that wasn't the best life for you? What if scripture and the Ten Commandments and the way that God designs life is God going, hey, friends, cone, 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 landmine. Right? Don't, don't go there. Don't do this. When it comes to marriage, when it comes to how you handle your money, when it comes to your sexuality, right? let me talk to you about the way life was meant to be lived. See, and, and today, in the next like 10, 15 minutes, I, I just want you to lean in as we talk about something that I can almost guarantee all of you, once I say this word, go, mm, okay, I've heard it. When I say the word sin, it's really easy for a lot of us to kind of just check out and go, hmm, yeah, for sure, sin. Why? Because you go to a private Christian school. You've heard this before. Right? Most of you could, you could probably like, spout out some memory verses on sin. You could talk to me about what sin is and why Jesus came and what the cross was for. and You could talk about all these things, but friends, what I want to do in the next 15 minutes is just simply ask you the question, what if there was more to this God and more to this story and more to an understanding of what sin is than what you're currently walking through life right now with? Okay, because I, I, let me just pose this theory. 
I believe, I believe this about you and I believe this about me and I believe this about most of your counselors in this room, okay? There's probably like one or two counselors out there that are just like holier than holy, right? Like y'all are killing it. Keep, keep on keeping on, we need you, okay? But for the most part, most of us struggle with this fact. Most of us struggle with the belief that I'm not that bad and God isn't that good. You know why we struggle with that? It's because it's, it's really easy to compare myself to the people around me. It's really easy to look at all the people around me and go, well, they're a much worse person than I am. They say worse things, they do worse things, and we can look around ourselves and we can kind of compare ourselves to people around us and go, well, I'm not that bad. But by saying I'm not that bad, we therefore go, well, God's not that good. Okay, here's what I mean. Exodus chapter five. Hopefully you're there. Exodus chapter five, verse one, says this. Okay, a little bit of context. Hold on, look up at me. Okay, remember where we left Mo last night? Burning bush, right? He leaned, he, he walks past the burning bush and he goes, hold this, hold on. That bush isn't burning up. And he draws near and then God goes, Moses, Moses. This beckoning for a relationship. And then he goes, hold on. Yes, I'm a relational God. Yes, I'm a loving God, but I'm also a holy God set apart. And Moses takes off his boots and draws near. And then God and Moses are gonna have this back and forth conversation. And then God's gonna tell Moses, I want you to go into Egypt. I want you to talk to Phineas Rowe, this Pharaoh character. And as you talk to him, I want you to tell him that he is to let my people go. See, at this point in time, Egypt had slaves, and the slaves were God's people. They were the Israelites, and they'd been slaves for a couple hundred years, and God says, I am a God that saves. I'm a God that restores. I'm a God that pursues, and he's about to demonstrate who he is in his character by bringing his people out of the land of Egypt, and he takes Moses, and he says, you're going to be the person that leads them out, okay? So here's where we pick up the story. Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Okay, by the way, in your Bible, see how it says capital L-O-R-D? See that? That wasn't the person that was typing up your Bible. They didn't like slip and hit caps lock, okay? It didn't happen. Hey, capital L-O-R-D is because God has a name. You ever thought about that before? God's, he's not just some like ethereal being. He's not just like out there floating. God has a name, and his name is Yahweh. His name is Jireh. He is provider. And in Exodus chapter three, when, when, Pharaoh, or sorry, when Moses asked, hey, who am I gonna say sent me? He goes, I am who I am. You can bank on my character. Who I always have been, I will always continue to be. And so when it says capital L-O-R-D, this is Yahweh. This is the God of Israel. This is his name. Okay, so it says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh says this, okay, we're gonna read this verse and this verse only. So pay attention to this one verse. Pharaoh says this, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I don't know him. So why would I let his people go? Who is God? I mean, I don't, I don't trust somebody that I don't know, and I definitely don't trust what they say. Here's, here's, here's what he's getting at. Okay? If somebody just barged through those back doors right now, they just walk through those back doors, and they look at me and they say, Austin, 
And I'm like, mm-hmm, a little busy. And they go, Austin, I need you to come with me right now. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go, hey, Jeb, can you help me out? That person's crazy, right? And then they're going to leave, and then we're going to go, okay, back to Exodus chapter 5. Why? Because I don't know that person, and if I don't know them, I definitely don't trust what they say. And I'm not just going to walk off stage and leave with somebody that I don't know. That makes sense, right? Okay? But if my dad walked through those back doors, I'd go, my dad lives in Washington State. Okay? So if my dad walked through those back doors and said, Austin, I need you to come with me right now, you know what I would do, friends? I'd pack up my Bible, and I'd go, hey, I'm really sorry. I don't know what's going on right now, and I'd walk out those back doors. Why? I know my dad, and I trust what he says. So Pharaoh here is going, I don't know your God, and I don't trust what he says. You know what this is going back to? All the way back to the beginning of the story. When we talk about sin, we have to understand the context of what the Bible's talking about. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Hey, in Genesis chapter 3, it's, it's commonly known as the, the fall of man. It's where sin first entered into the picture. Hey, but do you know what the enemy tricked Eve with in Genesis chapter 3? Don't trust God. Don't trust what he says. Hey, God gives Adam and Eve very simple context for what life in the garden is supposed to look like. He says, hey, this is, you can eat of any tree in this place. Right? You are free to eat of any tree in this place except for this one tree. And now you might be sitting here and go, well, that's not freedom then. Freedom is the ability to do what I want, when I want, how I want it. And I would go, uh-uh-uh. Beep, beep, beep. Landmine right? God demonstrates from the very beginning that forced love is not love at all, right? We, we get that, right? Like, that makes sense. I got married on August 11th, 2018. I should know that, okay? And I, I stood up front, like, in front of all of our friends and family, and I stood with Paige Finkmeyer. Yes, that was her maiden name, F-I-N-K-E-I-E-I-E-R-E-R, so many vowels, okay? Now it's pain, P-A-Y-N-E, simple, Okay, and I, I stood up front and I said, Paige Payne, I love you, right? I wanna spend the rest of my life with you, right? and, and, and we vowed to spend for, like, the rest of our lives here on earth together, and we looked at each other and said, I do, and we were married, okay? If we came home and I gave Paige like a three-page document typed out with exactly like every step-by-step step of what she had to do to love me. And so when I get home, I want this meal on the table and I want this cleaned and I want all of these things. And I just went like, this is, this is love. And I just typed it out, everything. And she had to, every day when I got home from work, she went, hello, darling, I love you. Here's your dinner. None of you would go, oh, so sweet, right? Like you'd all go, Cuckoo, right? You're crazy. That's not love, right? Forced love is not love at all. And so in the very beginning of the garden, God gives Adam and Eve a choice. He says, I'm going to, I am love, and you can eat of any tree in this garden, but if you eat of this tree, he says, this is, this is where it comes down to, do you trust in what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, or do you trust in my way of doing life? See, sin is very simply this. It's any thought, word, action, or attitude that goes against God's design for your life. 
And in Genesis chapter three, we see Satan enter in, personified in a snake, and the very first things he says are, did God really say? Did God really say? What's he getting at? Don't trust God, and don't trust what he says. See, one of my favorite definitions of sin is uh, by a guy uh, named Ignatius, and he says this, which that'd be a cool name to name your kid in 2022, right? This is my boy, Ignatius. Uh, Sin is this. It's an unwillingness to trust that what God wants for you is only your deepest happiness. See, we sin because we we believe a lie about what will make us happy. Sin is an unwillingness to trust that what God wants for you is only your deepest happiness. And this is why Satan can enter in and say, did God really say? Don't trust him. Don't trust what he says. And it's why, friends, thousands of years later, we struggle with the exact same thing. Is God holding out on me? Is there something else better for me out there in life? But here's the reality of what we're about to see in Exodus chapter five. In Exodus chapter five, the sin of Pharaoh, his thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes that go against God's design for his life and for the the, the people of Israel. When God declares, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no, sin always has consequences. It had consequences in Genesis chapter three. It's gonna have consequences in Exodus chapter five. We're gonna watch this play out. And we're gonna watch a couple videos tonight and we're gonna see it dramatized. We're gonna see it play out that sin has consequences. Okay, I told you about my daughter, Piper. She's about 18 months old now. Can you show me that photo? This is my daughter. She's a lovely desert, okay? Um, Maybe, potentially, Okay, I'll show you a photo of my daughter later, okay? My daughter's, she's 18 months old and she loves all things like pink and princess and tutu despite my wife's desires. My wife is very like uh, all things actually like very deserty. Her room is painted with these like pastel colors and it's like very vibey. You know, like everything about her room is like a really, it's really like aesthetic baby room. And then uh, my my grandma, or sorry, not my grandma, my mother-in-law, her grandma, like always buys her these like tutus and these pink things. And my, my wife's like, mom, you're killing me. But Piper now, like she loves all things pretty and pink and, and she's like, she's just like this, this little princess. And in her first year of life, like a, a child's life for the first year is like mostly just keeping somebody alive, right? Can I get an amen, parents? Right, like, but then parenting starts kicking in around like 16, 17, 18 months where like the first time I looked at Piper and I said, Piper, like don't touch Bandit's food. My, Bandit's my dog. And she walked over and she's like touching his food and she's like eating it. And I'm like, okay, like, okay. And I'm like, Piper, like, no, like do not touch Bandit's food. And then she looked at me and she went, touch it and I went, Oh, okay, right? Like, this is new, right? Like, for the most part, with a baby, it's just like, oh, you know, changing diapers and poop and pee and sleep, and it's like, you're just keeping something alive. And then all of a sudden, it was like, wow, parenting starts now, and we gotta talk about what no means, and I gotta go back and forth. But there was this one particular uh, morning where 
Piper, homegirl, loves her whole milk, okay? And can I get an amen? And uh, so Piper was walking up, and she's like on her tippy toes, reaching for the countertop, pink sippy cup, of course. And she's reaching up for the sippy cup, and she's like reaching, 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 and Piper, uh, and Paige and I are we're having a conversation, and all of a sudden Paige turns around, and uh, she grabs the sippy cup, and she goes, no, Piper, and she grabs it and starts walking away. And if you know anything about 18 months old, especially who like 18 months old who love their pink sippy cup and love milk and want what they want, when they want it, how they want it. When Piper was reaching for the sippy cup and then it got snatched out of her reach, World War III would be more bearable than this moment, okay? <laughs> so let me paint the picture for you. Piper on her tippy toes, <laughs> reaching. All of a sudden Paige goes, no, grabs sippy cup and walks away. Piper's sitting there going, you know when kids scream, but there's like the moment of silence before they scream? You know what I'm talking about? Piper's like, just loses her mind. And Paige, on the other hand, she, she turns around, she walks away, and she goes, Piper, that's spoiled milk, okay? And now, right, like when you have an 18-month-old and like the house is kind of chaos, like there's bound to be a cup of spoiled milk or two out spread around the house, okay? Like it just happens, okay? And so she goes, that's spoiled milk. She's like, trust me, you don't want that. And she's walking away and she's opening up the fridge and she's in the process of like grabbing her a new sippy cup and grabbing milk from the fridge and pouring her a new one and screwing it on and going like, I'm going to get you something better than what you currently are reaching for if you'll just trust me. And friends, have you ever drank? spoiled milk it's it's literally like the worst thing ever like I have PTSD from the last time I drank spoiled milk like when you when you open up the fridge and like I still do the like like the smell check and then you do like a small taste or you ever like gone for a midnight snack and you pour like a, a some spoiled milk into cereal and you take that first bite and you're like and you got to do like the second bite just to confirm right you like the second bite and you're like this something's wrong with this like spoiled milk is just it's the worst. And so in this moment, what my wife is trying to communicate to our 18-month-old as homegirl, remember, like, she's over here now doing the, like, arched back, like, flail, like, screaming, going like, like, I just want that milk. She wants what she wants, when she wants it, how she wants it. And as, as Paige is trying to communicate to her, like, homegirl, I, like, trust me, if you would just trust that I'm your mother and that I love you and that I'm for you and that what I have for you is better than you could possibly imagine, she puts the fresh milk in front of her and Piper wants nothing to do with it. Why? Because she just wanted what she wanted, when she wanted it, how she wanted it. But the last thing we want as parents, the last thing we want is to give her something that's going to harm her. In fact, right, can I just get real with y'all for a minute? I actually, I actually hate that which harms Piper. Like deeply hate what that which harms Piper. The first time she got shots at the doctor, like I almost knocked a doctor out, y'all. Like <laughs> her one month shots when like that needle went into her and she let out like not just like a cry cry, like a normal cry that she normally cried, but she let out like a pain cry. Like like P-A-I-N, not P-A-Y-N-E, like the first time it was like, ouch. I like looked at the doctor and I was like, I'm, I'm gonna kill you, right? Like, <laughs> you just hurt my baby girl. 
right? Like the moments that she's been in pain, the moments that she's been hurting, the moments that she's been sick, like I hate that which hurts my daughter deeply. Like it, it's, it creates this anger inside of me that it's, it's, it's coming from a place of love. When I love you so much that I hate that which pains you. I love you so much that I hate that which hurts you. Friends, and here in scripture, in Exodus chapter five, what we're about to see is God's wrath poured out on the Egyptians. And God's wrath is this. God is a just God and he has wrath. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Because this is, for me, this is the single most When I understand this more, this is the single most thing that helps me understand God's love for me is when I can properly comprehend his wrath. And his wrath is this. It's his love in action against sin. God's wrath is his love in action against sin. Hey, so in Exodus chapter five, when Pharaoh says, I don't know you, and therefore I'm not gonna let your people go, God's wrath is about to be demonstrated because his love in action against sin is gonna be demonstrated on behalf of his people. If I just watched Piper willingly walk into a painful situation and I just sat back and went, eh, none of you would go, oh, you're such a great dad. No, I do that which I can to protect my daughter, right? I do what I can to go, hey, I don't want you to experience like this, this painful moment. And so my love in action against her, it's, it has to take action, right? Or my love against that which hurts her. And so God's love in action against sin is going to be demonstrated all throughout scripture. And we're gonna talk more about this tonight. But very simply, I want you to write these four references down and then I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna be done, Okay. The first one is this, Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23. And it says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Last night we talked about God's glory. Remember? Holy, this set apart. It was, it was so other than that even just to walk into his presence, Mo removed his boots. In Exodus 33, we saw that, that God says, nobody can even look at my face and survive. So we all have sin, and because of our sin, because of our thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes that fall short of God's glory, right? this is what Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says. It says that the wages of that sin is death. The way sin pays, always has paid and always will pay, the way sin pays is in death. And it's both this, this uh, it's a death that we experience here physically, but it's also this separation from God. Romans chapter three, verse 10 says that there's no one good, not even one. So Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 3.10, and then the last one I want you to write down is James chapter two, verse 10. And it says if we break one part of the law, we're guilty of breaking the entire law. And the reason I want to talk about that is because in Exodus 5, we might look at a character like Pharaoh and go, yeah, but that was, he was like evil. He's like the bad guy. He like blatantly went against God's plan. And again, we might be tempted to look at ourselves and go, well, that's Pharaoh. 
His sin was like that. It was obvious. But I think every single one of us needs to face this reality that we have all sinned. And because of the fact that we have all sinned and that sin pays in death, there's now this gap. If God is holy and set apart and so other than, and we consistently, like Piper, want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, right? And we might not, like y'all at like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, like y'all might not, like you might not arch your back and scream and like throw a hissy fit anymore, right? Most of you probably are past that phase. But that shows up in our life in different ways. When we want what we want, how we want it, when we want it, and we don't get it, how do you act? How do we respond? So friends, we all need to deliver. There's something broken inside every single one of us with a holy God and a sinful people. What do we do with this gap? How do we fill this? And this is what we're gonna talk about tonight. Okay, pray with me, and we're gonna be done. God, thanks for this morning. God, thank you for your word. God, in a story like we see in Exodus. God, that you are a holy God, that you meet Moses exactly where he's at, and then as he walks into his presence, into your presence, God, you communicate this plan that you have to reconcile your people, to buy them back, to rescue them, to save them. God, thank you that that is the same story that you have for us that your plan for us is to buy us back, to rescue us. That the Bible's not just a story about what happens, it's a story about what happens. And I pray today that you would convict us of sin. God, it's easy, especially as people that grow up hearing your word, to believe the lie that I'm not that bad. But God, if I'm not that bad, then you aren't that good, and the good news of the gospel, it falls flat. God, would we this morning, would you make us aware of the, of the areas in our life where we still want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. God, where we fail to believe that what you want for us is actually our deepest happiness. Show us the places where we're settling for less. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.